You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Megdahl, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter. Easiest way to follow all of our coverage is at Summit Hoops, two T's in honor of Pat, where there is 24-7 women's basketball coverage. You can also get our app either on iOS or Android. Make sure you get those notifications so if anything happens, you're on top of it right away. And somebody who's been responsible for a great deal of those notifications of late joins us this afternoon, Laser Clarendon, who is the point guard for the Atlanta Dream, someone who I really enjoy talking to and I've, I know you're going to as well thanks for taking the time to talk to us yet again <laughs> <laughs> no problem I'm happy to be here so the place I'd love to start is just you know obviously it's very exciting and uh, you being the sixth player in league history to have a triple double uh, you know obviously we want to revel in that talk about, I'm actually being handed a bulletin uh, that says uh, no in fact it was not a triple double uh, we're going to have right. to. <laughs> no, I mean, what, what, how weird was that entire experience for you to have a triple-double and then have it taken away like that? Because it was strange for me, and I didn't experience it. I was just covering it. It was really weird. It was definitely really weird. And the, I would say the worst part about it is I didn't really start to relish in it until the next day because I was so excited about the win and still kind of so in shock, like, holy crap. That's like, wait, only six people have ever done this, you know? So right. just kind of the hangover from the from the night and then the next day, like maybe around 1 or 2 o'clock, which is when it kind of got taken away. I was like, oh, let me like post something about social media and kind of talk about my feelings about it. You know, it's literally like 30 minutes later right. after I posted. I saw, this, oh, just kidding. You know, it's been rescinded. And I was like, really? Like I just posted about it. I was just starting to enjoy it and really – let it sink in that like I was a sixth player to ever do this with some really big time names. Um, so that was really weird. But then back to the point, I was like, you know, what? I'll do it again. Fine. Like I'll do it and I'll make sure, you know, I'll 15 assists. So even if you take away five of them, you know, I'll still get the, get the 10. Um, and it just kind of reminded me too, because I try a lot to not focus on awards right. um, and stick to like the process of playing and like the work that I do and the journey of it because the awards are so fickle, like that one, they can come and go so quickly depending on, you know, who's voting on them and totally. politics and just a number of different things. So I really try and focus on enjoying the journey and then the awards are cool when they come, especially like an all-star one or one, you know, if you get first team all WNBA, I always make jokes about I want the awards where you get the money because I'm always like <laughs> hitting Coop up for money for half court shots and stuff. I'm like, do we get money for that? Right. Is there money with that? Okay. All right. Good. I want that. There's money. <laughs> well, and and so I wondered because it, you you talk about being present, uh, and that's being a really clear focus for the way you try to live day to day, both on the court and just in general. So something like this. Does it fuel you, like you said, to make sure you reach that goal where it wasn't perhaps on your radar prior to that? Or, uh, you know, how, how do you go about sort of reconciling those two things? Right. A little bit of mixed feelings. Like, kind of right after it happened, I was like, oh, I'm going to get another one. You know, and now I'm like, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, like, it doesn't. I'm really focused. I think the way that I play, another one will happen in my career right. just because I'm a rebounding guard, you know, the assists, I have the ball in my hand. So, so often my scoring keeps going up every year. And so I think 
Um, it will happen, but I'm not, I'm not like going out there every night, you know, trying to Westbrook win the MVP, like <laughs> telling Elizabeth to box out for me so I can get the rebounds. It, it takes away too much attention um, and too much of my focus on the wrong things. I, I'd like to see that kind of Westbrook season from you before it's all said <laughs> and done. I, I, it doesn't seem like it's out of the realm of possibility, but I, I understand it's not the initial focus. I think that's, that's probably a fair way to go about it. Um, yes, it, I mean, if I can do it, that'd be amazing. You know, I'd be get the, get the most in any season, get more than one. That would be like, I'll, I'll set a record for you guys if you really want to see one. <laughs> well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past you. And, you know, a couple of additional teammates that you added here who were going to give you a chance at even some more assists. Uh, just last night, Namani Boyette and Tamara Young coming over from Chicago. I, I guess before we get into some of the specifics of it, because there are some technical ways that I think they uh, – work particularly well with your game. I'm just wondering what you knew of the two of them and what your initial thoughts were. My first initial thought was, dang it, I really like Jordan Hooper because, you know, it is a business, but you do build relationships with people. And I was literally just hanging out with her and Elizabeth at the pool around like noon yesterday and then 7.15, you know, we find out she's traded. So that was like, dang, man, it just, it's hard and you get to know people and that's just a really hard side of this business that a lot of fans and people don't understand and see. And, you know, now she has to pick up her life and kind of move. And that's kind of what I had to do from Indiana to Atlanta. So just to highlight that for a second. Yeah. Um, but then on the very positive side, I was like, yes, we got some more defense and rebounding. Um, and I thought with Imani having Elizabeth be able to take a rest was a huge step for us and because Anika's still coming back from that injury um and so we don't have that kind of steady backup center yet with her not being I think where she wants to be 100 percent so Amani shot blocking screener like clogging up the paint I love that all day um and then Tamara Young we always got into it when we played so I was like oh this is good it reminded me of um like a me and Tiffany Hayes where it's like good now we can be on the same team kind of thing and beat up everybody else because yeah, I always guard her. She's the guard me, and we're you know that's the first flagrant foul I got this year was her and I boxing each other out. So um, <laughs> I again, I thought that. toughness, yeah, toughness, um, a good veteran guard, which I think our team really needed. I could see her being in at the end of games, um, and she's just so versatile. She can play that that three four position and a really good defender. She's the kind of person you put on Maya Moore, you put on Lena Deladon, and yeah. she she's strong enough and smart enough to. Um, make up for that size. Yeah, I mean, her defensive versatility is really significant for you guys to have someone to be able to do that at the wing. But also, what's really noticeable to me, and I'm wondering whether Coop talked about this uh, at all with you guys yet, is that she's added the three-point shot in a really fundamental way, Mm -hmm. taking several per game so far this year. You guys actually get the fewest percentage of your points from three uh, of any Mm -hmm. WNBA team. Just relative to spacing that alone seems like that could add a dimension that would be significant uh coop's statement talked about the mid-range uh what what is Mm -hmm. what has that conversation come up and do you think the three-point uh game uh by young is going to be significant for what you guys are doing i think people still don't view her as like a lights out ali quayley three-point shooter but Mm -hmm. i think she has proven that she's added that to her game which is amazing you know if she's going to play the four for us and she can pick and pop and knock that down um another thing was just having her on the court we haven't had the conversation with coop yet they weren't in practice today but um it's just her being out there and 
everybody knows when Tiffany drives and I drive, when, you know, Sykes drives, they're just sucking in. Like, the defense is just literally clogging five people. And so being able to drive and then hit her on the wing, and if she can knock that shot down, that's amazing. You know, add that spacing. We we get those shots in games. We're getting wide open threes. We just got to start knocking them down, um, myself included. And so if we have somebody who's happy and willing to, to go out there and knock them down, like, go for it. Well, and I know we talked about this a little bit when we spoke uh, up in Seattle, but, you know, your three is uh, season-wise is well off your typical pace where you've been at uh, 35 mm-hmm. 40% the last couple of years. Uh, as far as the state of that shot goes, you feel really comfortable with it, and that looks to be something uh, that you think will also uh, presumably uh, change that number between now and the end of the year for you guys. Yeah, I'm still waiting. I'm like, I'm going to hit five one of, these, one of these days. Like, just watch. I'm going to hit five. Uh, yeah, I'm just kind of rushing in the game, but I'm feeling really good about it right now, even in practice, shoot around, pregame warm-ups. Um, it looks good. It feels good. Again, this is why I don't focus too much on statistics, which I know they matter, you know, for awards and the big picture and scouting and a lot of things. Um, but I focus on the process of it. Like, I'm still – I'm in a – three-point shooting slump, and I'm still taking them confidently in games, and I think that's a really big step for me, and I think that's what shooters have to do, like the best. You know, I see yeah. Diana Trossi airball in a game, and she comes down and shoots three more threes, and I'm like, God, she's got, like, the mental steel capacity around that. She knows she's a good shooter. And so, for me, there's some really early on the season that just double rim. I had another one the other night. It hit double rim, and I'm like, that's a make. Normally that goes in. You know, right. it's just a little bit off right now, but – it will bounce back, and so I'm not worried about it. No question about it. And then the other part of what you talked about, in terms of Elizabeth Williams, obviously Imani can spell her, but do you think there's uh, going to be some lineups where you guys go a little bit bigger with the two of them? The reason why I ask is uh, we've seen Imani in that set uh, with with Stephanie Dolson earlier this year in Chicago, Mm -hmm. but also you guys are already second in the lead in block percentage, uh, you know, the third best defense in the lead. And so there's an element of rim protection that's already uh, at its peak, but you have a lineup like that with Elizabeth Williams and Imani. Uh, Is there a potential to go big in almost a Los Angeles Sparks kind of way uh, and maximize what you guys are in terms of your identity already? I think there could be, and especially in that zone that we play, I could see that being really effective. Uh, that's the hardest place to box down on the floor, so having that size would be amazing. Obviously, it always depends on matchups, but, I mean, now you talk about putting Young in at the three, mm-hmm. and we're really huge, and me at the one, maybe Tiffany at the two, um, and we're, we're pretty big, and I actually like that lineup a lot, too. So I think it's fun for the staff. They have a lot more pieces to play with now because, again, Imani is that, that size for E, uh, we don't have to just depend on Elizabeth so much just to give her some reprieve. And then having that versatility with Young is just huge. That's a big, big piece for any team to have. Yeah, it's so interesting because Young is so versatile, because Imani can do some different things. Uh, and again, because of the way that Brittany Sykes has really developed and, uh, you know, the mm-hmm. things that she's able to do on the defensive end, you guys have the ability to go big or go small. Uh, which I think is key exactly. for a playoff lineup uh, atmosphere. So let's talk about whether your uh, impressions of what this team can do have changed in light of the deal, in light of what you guys have available to you now. First of all, is it meaningful that it feels like uh, the the Dream Front Office is giving you the endorsement to really go for it now? And do you think it changes 
the ceiling for what this team can be in 2017. So the first question, like, does the dream office think now? Sorry, can you repeat that? That's okay. That? Is is it meaningful to you to have the dream go forward and basically make a statement that 2017, you guys are really going for it? Right. Absolutely. I mean, our owners, we've met with them at the beginning of the year, and they're, they've said nothing short of a championship. You know, this is what we want, and this is what we believe. Um, and I think putting the money forth does speak volumes and getting the pieces that we need, you know, and um, we really needed that backup five. Like, that was very necessary because E's just putting up too many minutes. I think she led the league in minutes last season, then yeah. she goes to play in Russia, comes back this year. It's just it's pretty unrealistic to ask her to be efficient um, defensively and offensively and to not fatigue and burn out with the amount of minutes she's, ha- she's had to play and all that she's had to give this team. Screening, like, she's got to finish on roll. She's got to guard, you know, Sylvia Fowles, Deladon, like, all these great players night in, night out. So I think the office giving us the pieces we need, I thought that was huge and said volumes. Um, and I think I am really hopeful and happy in a good place because – those were the two pieces. Like, I didn't talk to Coop about this before the trade, but that was my feeling. When I knew the trade deadline was coming, I was just like, we need another veteran guard. Like, when I look at our some of our lineups, I'm like, we need a little more experience. And I know Young has been to the finals before um, and played in numerous playoff games. And she's someone I can really see being out there. You know, not to say that she's taken any one spots or what the lineups will look like, but I know she's a player who could come in and that's someone who could be having a good game and be in at the end of the game, you know, because she could be guarding an Elena Belladon. Um, or playing the three or the four, just causing mismatch problems. And so we really needed both of these pieces. They're huge for us, and I think it does make us a legit playoff contending team. Now, we do have six games on the road, five at home, and so two against Minnesota, another one against a tough New York, a Connecticut game, and so we're going to have to bring it. It's not going to be easy, but I think we do have more of what we need now. And uh, you could argue that, Young is better set up to succeed in Atlanta than she even would be elsewhere, just because a lot of what was drawn up for Angel uh, is already sort of in place and you guys are potentially able to uh, implement it, I would think, as well. But you mentioned uh, Brittany Sykes, and, and, and I want to get back to her as well, because you know she just won the award uh, for Rookie of the Month, but we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, and you were talking about the ways in which uh, she was able to do things right away that surprised you. I'm hoping you could talk a little bit about that, first of all, but second of all, about just what her learning curve has been uh, under your leadership uh, running things on the court, because it seems like it's just growth exponentially game after game after game for her these days. Sometimes, I, a lot of times, actually, I have to remind myself that she's a rookie because I'm like, come on, Sykes, do this better. You know, I'm like, God, she's only a rookie. Let me stick back <laughs> to where I was as a rookie. You know, like, we're asking her to do a lot and throwing a ton at her, and this is her first year, and she's actually handling it with a lot of um, grace. And so the things she's been able to do in her mentality to just come in, um, I think I talked about this in our last interview, was to miss shots and come in and still just, feel confident keep shooting them that's something that i haven't seen out of a lot of rookies and so i think that's a really big mental piece for her um she's fearless and she just goes in there and plays and then again you know always depending on where you go that's going to dictate i guess kind of the style of play and so her coming to atlanta has just been perfect like like you kind of alluded to with young i think she'll fit in well here because we can just get out and play you know there's plenty of shots for everybody whoever's kind of willing to take them and make a play can have the shots um, and so that's where I think 
Sykes has really succeeded. Um, and I talked about getting her to realize, you know, when's an okay shot, a good shot, a great shot. And so some of those quick early transition pull-ups we've had to have talks about, and I know her and Koopa as well, like, you know, there's three people back, you're taking a pull-up, maybe it's time to pull it out. You know, if you're hot and you're kind of Clay Thompson heat checking, okay, that's one thing, but when you come down and take those quick shots and the defense isn't back like that, that can be as bad as a turnover for us because now everybody's sprinting back. Elizabeth has me across half court, and so getting her to understand um, time and score and when to take certain shots. But other than that, she's been fearless and she's been tremendous. And then when you look at what Elizabeth is doing this year, you know, her overall field goal percentage up over 50%. Uh, like you said, despite the fact that she's taken on these huge minutes and is such a key part of what you guys are doing defensively, I wondered even just in the past couple of weeks whether you've noticed an even further change. You guys have executed the two-person game so well. It's one of the things I enjoy most when I watch you guys play. Have you mm-hmm. found that people are committing even more to you as you have continued to establish your bona fides as a scorer? And has that opened things up even further? Or do you think there are other elements at play for why Elizabeth has managed to improve her finishing to such an extent? Yeah, not to brag, but I think you nailed it. Um, I think she's doing a great job finishing. She kind of started off a little bit rough in the season and she really turned it on. Um, And I think we're putting her in better positions to score I don't know that necessarily right now she's like the the back to the basket kind of Sylvia Fallis throw it in there and bang on people but I think she is a lot better on the move and so getting her in that kind of pick and roll me drawing two people hitting her on the slip you know hitting her on the pocket pass has been a lot better for her um and she's been able to knock that kind of free throw line jumper down a ton or that um space jump shot on the baseline when I drive and hit her for the kick I think she's done a really good job with that um and so just teaching her those screening angles, I know we talked about that last year too, um, has been huge. And as of lately, it's even been the growth of like teaching her to slip out quicker because people are like, they're jumping out at me. They're trying to hedge me on screens to get me to take that back dribble and not to turn the corner. So mm-hmm. I'm like, before I even take a dribble, I'm just like, slip, we have to make them pay for that. They can't, you know, double team me for a second and we don't make them pay. And so right. um, all those kind of little nuances, but I think to credit her is, that she's picking up on it so quickly. Like, we don't have an off-season to work and build chemistry with each other. We're literally here. You know, she got back late to camp, and we're trying to work on these things as we're playing games, as the season is going along. And so we're just kind of learning on the fly and sometimes in games. Like, I remember the last time we played Phoenix at their house, the first time this year, we got a really good rescreen. So I told her, people go under rescreen, and she did it, like, automatically. It was so nice and fluid, and I hit the jump shot, and I was like, yay, that's a, such a big moment for us um, in our growth in our two-man game. So I think we have um, a lot more room for growth than that, which is huge. I mean, you talked about it, and it's so true that an underrated part of the way a WNBA season unfolds is that the 34 games is in many ways – a training camp for the playoffs, although obviously it counts a tremendous amount, <laughs> you know, but it, it's, right. it's just the difference between, you know, where a team is in May and where that team is in September is, is so striking. And so I guess I wonder when you look at where the team is, it seems like things like regular season stats are only limited in terms of saying what a team is capable of by the time we get to the playoffs. So 
do you follow the standings closely? Do you take a look at where you guys are? And, you know, especially given this playoff format where the difference between, say, a four and a five seed or even a six and a seven is the mm-hmm. difference between you're hosting that that single elimination playoff game or you have a bye. Right. You know, how much yep. do you pay attention and, and how significant is that in your mind? I do. I kind of obsess about it, but again, then I have to go back to like, okay, what can I control? What can I control? Um, but I check it on my WNBA app a lot. I'm like, God, okay, Seattle lost again too. That's great. Now we're tied. You know, I know Indiana's two games behind and right. Chicago, but they're three losses behind as well. But I mean, they're still fighting to beat us out for the playoffs. And so and we're beating Seattle, and I know Seattle's on this five-game road trip right now, and they just lost to the um, Lynx mm-hmm. the other night, and so that was good. Um, and for us, I think right now we're trying to for sure make the playoffs and then kind of battle and fight that seeding. We have a couple huge tie-breaking games come, coming up, and that those could make a huge difference. Like you said, that could be the difference in us being an eight seed or a six seed. You know, if we win the tiebreaker against us in New York, that would be a big difference. We play Seattle at home, so I know that's going to be a huge one. Yeah. We also play Dallas and Phoenix again, and those are all – tiebreaker games for us because we've only played those teams twice so far and so those are literally probably going to come down to like this game will determine you know your future your opportunity for the playoff if you're home if you're away who you match up with Um, and that's why again those top four spots are so important and Connecticut has been really impressive this year and I thought personally they were gonna there was going to be some a little more parity but they've really stuck it out up there um and looks like they're going to pull in that third seed Boy, they, they really have been impressive. And, and of course, with the injury to Elena Deladon, that might clear the path even further for Connecticut to earn that three seed. But for, for you guys personally, and even for you, I'm wondering, having gone through it now and thinking ahead mm-hmm. to it, how is single elimination? I, you know, what was that experience like? Obviously, there was something to recommend it last year, uh, the way things turned out. Right. Uh, but w- what was the experience like, and, and, and do you do you enjoy the playoff format like that the way it is right now? I thought the, the finals playoff format was amazing because I do think you should get the two best teams, and that was L.A. and Minnesota last year, and mm-hmm. I thought, that's kind of where Phoenix has got screwed in the, in some of the past years because yeah. they had to always go through Minnesota to get to the finals, um, and it oh. could have been them in Minnesota. Um, the single elimination was interesting. Um, you know, when we beat Seattle, I was like, great, yay. You know, Angel had, like, the game of her life. I think she had, like, mm. 37 or something. Yeah. She just went off, we beat Seattle, and then, you know, we turn around and we have to travel to Chicago. We lose to them, and we're like, dang, we could have used two more games, you know, to win that series. Um so I have mixed feelings about it, but I think it is exciting for the fans. I do think it brings that level of, like, we got one shot at this, and the the scary part is you play your whole season and, you know, you get a bad matchup, like a team that just doesn't match up with you well. It could be, you know, Phoenix against the eighth seed. That's where we're at right now, I think, five and eight. And, right. you know, they've technically been better than us all year in terms of record, and then we catch them, you know, on an off night. But that's that's part of basketball, I think, is the ball's going to drop one way or the other. You know, sometimes refs are in it. Sometimes you're shooting well or not. And um, I think it adds a lot of excitement for the fans. I think then you make it to those last two rounds and you get that longer kind of five-game series to really prove, you know, who's the better team. But the one game, it's tricky because, you know, anyone could have a bad night and someone could steal one. 
It is true, although I will say that in addition to last year, obviously, you have a career history of enjoying single elimination tournaments, uh, as the University of Georgia, <laughs> of course, found out the hard way uh, in the Elite Eight. But let, let's move, if we can, from that playoff uh, picture, which is really interesting, uh, and, and I agree with you, I, I think really full of drama, to something uh, you could argue of more significance. I wanted to get your take just in general about it. Uh, there was an article in the Washington Post a couple of days ago. It was the Washington Mystics uh, speaking about the President of the United States uh, and uh, their opposition to uh, him and so much of what he's done so far. And, and what I find striking is that there are no shortage of players who are uh, more than comfortable and, in fact, make a point of speaking out about issues that matter to them. Uh, you have been mm -hmm. uh, perhaps most eloquent of anyone in the league uh, on this score. But I've noticed that here in 2017, a time of increased political activism, I think there hasn't been as much uh, targeted, directed at the President of the United States uh, himself, although obviously, and you, you have the same conversations I do, uh, that you know there's no shortage of um, antipathy for him and you know what he's doing and what he's done. I, right. I wonder you know, what you think that's about, and just what you think the state of play is about uh, with activism and the WNBA here in 2017, just in a macro sense. Yeah, I, I didn't see that article. I need to go check it out. Um, but when you said that, I was kind of like, huh? Yeah, no one really has been saying anything about him. But then I think kind of because of like, yeah, like we all don't like him. It's pretty obvious kind of thing. But no one's really said anything and for me on my social it's been like i'm not giving him any of my time and energy and i right. think that's where i can't speak here for everyone else in the league has kind of been like oh like i can't even god what is it today i can't even read the tweet like oh like here we go again like i i don't want to give that my time and space um right but it's I do think it's important to speak out. Yeah, well, go I'm sorry, I was just going to say, it's almost like the political equivalent of uh, responding to the people who have, you know, the various sexist, uh, misogynist things right. to say about the league when it comes out. Well, instead, right. we'll, we'll talk about the league in a in a broader sense. The problem is those guys are random trolls on Twitter. This this is a person who, unfortunately, controls a lot of what the federal government does, yep. right? So, yep. yeah, do, do you think there is a tipping point moment where that will change? Do you think it should change? And and I guess by the same token, are there limits to what you think that kind of activism can be from a player? Mm -hmm. Just in, in terms of what, what you're able to accomplish, what your goals are uh, in doing so. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot more of my speaking out in this in this last year has been about his policies, which I'm you know to get on and just be a troll on the other side. I think helps nothing to just say ah Trump's horrible, blah. You know, like right. of course we all know that. Right. Um, and it's okay if people do need to vent their frustrations, but mine's been more like you know speaking out about the trans bill or the trans ban that he just tried to make and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Is like this is not okay. And so that is what I have seen a lot of speaking out about. Um, and that's been really positive. Yeah. Um, and I think for players, the sky's the limit. I mean, it's literally helped me build a brand. Um, and I know a lot of times people in the last, you know, five years, even as, as people have gotten much more comfortable with the LGBT community, um, they're like, don't speak out. Or, you know, even when in college, kind of like, 
this might not go over well. And then I kind of bust on the scene my rookie year of like, they joke around and call me like the gay superhero. They're like, Blaze is going to talk about all things, you know, like here goes the gay superhero. Like, what do you have to say about this issue or this policy? Um, and right. so I've literally been able to build a brand on being this kind of ambassador and this kind of advocate and activist. And so I think the sky's the limit with where you want to go and how much you want to speak out and where you want to take it. And I think it affects a lot more people than we know. And so obviously everyone has a different amount of followers. And even mine, I think on Twitter, it's still under 5,000, which for a professional athlete, I would say that's not like a ton, mm -hmm. but that's still more than the average person. Right. So even the amount of tweets, or um, impact that I've made don't necessarily reflect, reflect my followers, but I think that kind of shows that, like, it doesn't necessarily always correlate that, like, your voice does matter. I always tell people that, whether you're in a church of 30 people or, you know, you're the mayor or obviously the president or, you know, just at a hospital, like, wherever you are, you can affect your community. And so I think that's whatever voice you're going to use um, for good or bad or different or how you're going to affect the people around you and inspire people. Um, and I think I've got a ton of messages that have been so positive uh, on all of my social channels throughout the last few years, and even before that, but it's, they started to pick up of just mostly when I write articles and stuff, too, of like, wow, thank you for saying something. You know, I, I didn't tell anyone for years that I was assaulted, or thank right. you for writing this. I struggle being gay and Christian, too. And so that's, that's where the sky's the limit. Like, you don't know how far your voice will even reach the people who don't even reach out, reach out and message you, but saw what you said and how you fight that will be affected by your voice. You know, I, it, it's been really inspiring for me to see. And I think it's done something more than that because you you, you dove right in, in, in at a time that I think that was still an open question as far as the mm -hmm. role for athletes to have. And I, I see yeah. us here in 2017 having a very different conversation. We're having a conversation where when athletes don't speak out, it's strange, right. it's different, it's not the norm, rather than athletes who do uh, on a range of different issues, that this separation no longer exists. And I think putting that spotlight and making it every day is something really significant and really important. I think, if anything, some of the backlash is coming from the fact that there is no separation anymore. There's no ability to right. isolate and avoid those conversations uh, in any realm. Right. Uh, I, how important is that, do you think, to broader society? Simply the fact that it is all of one. It is all of one single human experience. I'm not following exactly in terms of uh, the, not the, being able to that, separate. Right, that, that people, cannot, people cannot ignore these issues in the world, people right. cannot ignore issues of sexual assault anymore and, and simply right. focus on sports, stick to sports, that that is, not, right. uh, uh, that is not a way for the world to operate anymore. I think it's awesome, um, and I think that's why there is there has been a lot of backlash because people are like, God, I just want to have some entertainment and watch a freaking football game. You know, right. I don't want to see this guy kneel, and now they're talking about it, or I don't want to mm -hmm. see the WNBA wearing Black Lives Matter shirts, and so I think that that has caused a lot of backlash, but I think that's great that there's no escape because uh, there's so many people who can't escape the realities or what's been done to them or, you know, whatever oppression or systematic, oppressive, whatever they've been a part of that I do think it's important. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. I think the hard part is that for people who don't necessarily want to speak out, um, 
that being an athlete is kind of becoming synonymous with that, and I'm not sure um, if that's fair mm -hmm. because they're, those people are going to be criticized because I know, like, I just think about, for me, it's always kind of gone hand in hand since my professional career. It has gone hand in hand. So, But for someone who's like, I work hard in my sport, I just want to show up, you know, I want to be a good role model to kids, but, like, now I have to be eloquent enough to speak on these issues. Like, now I'm being asked these questions that kind of have nothing to do with sport, but sport is a microcosm for the world. And so in so many ways, it, it does have something to do with sport because of the times are changing. Um, so I think that's kind of an interesting realm where athletes are, you know, we're going to have to read some more too because you're going to start to see, you see people getting asked questions and you see the kind of uninformed or um, not so eloquent answers. And then you obviously have people like me who can, you know, give you a whole paragraph about something. And so I think that's just interesting and something that I'm really aware of that like, my journey in this for sports and my platform isn't the same as everyone else's. So I try not to be really critical and other people don't speak out because I don't know, you know, their reasons behind their why about it. For um, sure. But and I do think it's cool that sports are becoming that. Yes. And, and, that and, activism it, realm. And, and for sure, the fact that people's individual personal stories need to be shared on their timetable yeah. and based on their right. comfort level is really significant. Right. Uh, to me though, I guess I feel like, that's always been the case. What we haven't had until right. recently is a pathway to, like you said, and, and it's so true, to being able to build your brand around, among other things, mm -hmm. being able to talk about the, you know, Swin Cash talked about this when she uh, was becoming more outspoken, uh, you know, over the final few yep. years of her career, and that she had representatives who worried about, you know, gee, what is this going to mean for her professional opportunities, mm -hmm. and then it turned out to go the opposite way. It ended up being uh, a net positive for her as well, and that always seems to me that sort of the cynical uh, but positive aspect of social change in this country is that when it ends up being not just the right thing, but the right thing and financially rewarding, uh, that's when it seems exactly. to really take hold. So I, I think you're right. on a great point with that. Um, right. To, to, to move beyond that, just to a thing you talked about, I can't really get it out of my head, uh, and, and it was uh, right up at the top of the story I wrote about you, but it was the idea that you have Tokyo on your mind, and you have the idea of being the next elite guard, and you've gone, and you, and mm -hmm. you've gone about proving it on the court. But I, I wondered how much, and this goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, you're so much uh, someone who tries to stay in the moment, how do you, and in what ways do you allow yourself to visualize 2020, visualize Tokyo, visualize where you want to go, and what part does that play in your development? In season, I would say not so much. It was definitely more of an off-season mm -hmm. kind of fuel that I would use um, in terms of, you know, like you said in the article, when I'm having a hard day or working out, I'm like, pissed off like no elite guards you know I'm, you know i'm gonna show you kind of thing right. um but in season i'm so focused in the moment i mean i can't it's definitely crossed my mind before like oh my god that'd be so cool because i just heard uh i don't know if they're coming out with the other bids where i don't know if la ended up getting one or mm -hmm. the years after that you know so i think it might have popped back up or coming up of like wow where's it gonna be um, yeah, so LA so in twenty twenty eight, that'll be your third Olympics, uh, based on your time. Right. right. <laughs> and Paris in twenty twenty four, right? That's right, right. Enjoy. Enjoy. It sounds okay. great. 
Um, so those kind of little things that cross my mind that I'm like, oh, they kind of bring it back up, you know. Um, but other than that, I'm so in the moment because I know if I take care of today, like, that will come. I know that, like, literally all I have is today. And so today I say, like, my thing is, like, be great today. Like, like how can you be great? And then when I'm going to bed, I'm like, I did enough today. Because I had that a lot of, like, off-season. Like, I'd have days where I was really struggling. Like, literally, I would just finish a workout, and I'd be like, did I do enough today? You know, my partner's like, honey, like, come here. You're dripping wet. Like, yes, you did enough. Like, you work so hard. But I'm just always like, did I do enough? I need to do more. Like, am I am just that kind of striving and growing and not enough mentality? I think that helps fuel me. And so it's just every day, like, all right, be great today. Like, I'm going to foam roll, like, I'm not going to take any time off those little detail things that make you great. Like, I'm going to get my passing in today. Like, I'm going to be focused in practice today. I'm exhausted. You know, my ankle's hurting. But, like, nope. Like, I'm going to be great today. And I think those are the things that I've always tried to, like, keep my head down and focus. Because then when you look up, I'm like, I'll be in Tokyo. Like, don't worry about it. Like, do the things you need to do, and you'll be there. Well, I hope the listeners take a note of this because everyone I've spoken to who knows you wasn't a bit surprised by the development you've had as a player, and that's the reason <laughs> why. So I uh, just want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. R- really enjoyed it and wishing you all the best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And just a I reminder, appreciate it. I, I, of course, and just a reminder to our listeners that you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB or Summit Hoops with two T's. Like us on Facebook. Go ahead and rate and review the podcast as well so more people are listening to these stories. I'm Howard Megdahl, wishing you a wonderful day.